Allow our hearts to take in um, your precious word today. The good news. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you need a Bible this morning, hold up your hand. The ushers are passing them out. Just keep your hand up high until you have a Bible. Put in that outstretched hand. Right down here, Frank. When you get that Bible, you can turn not to Ruth. We are going to have a ruthless message today. So, Pastor Jesse's been speaking through the book of Ruth for the last several weeks, and he was out of town some this week, had some meetings out of town and whatnot, asked me a couple weeks ago if I would pinch hit for him, and immediately, well, within 10 minutes anyway, the Lord laid on my heart the passage for me to share this morning. You know, I was thinking also this morning, sometimes I do that, uh, do you realize that two weeks from today, it will have been two years since I passed off the senior pastorate to Jesse? Can you believe that? Two whole years. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Wayne. I pastored this church for 26 years. And two years ago, passed off the senior pastorate to Pastor Jesse, and I became his associate. And that it's already been two years is just mind-boggling to me and uh, the wheels are still on isn't that great (laughs) of course we knew they would because we knew who was in control of it all and so you know when pastor jesse asked me to minister i within 10 minutes i had a scripture verse that was burning in my heart so i went to it and It just started coming alive. And unless I'm preaching expositorily and going verse by verse through a book, usually God will lay a scripture verse or a topic on my heart, and it'll be in light of a destination. And let's say we decided this afternoon we want to go to Salt Lake City. So we get in our car and we pull out on the freeway and we start heading east. Periodically along the way, we're going to get some reminders that we're still heading for Salt Lake City. We get off that road, we're going to quit seeing those reminders. And over the last three weeks, God has still been giving me these signposts still on the road to Salt Lake City. And on Thursday, during our, we have a weekly staff meeting every Thursday morning, Jesse played uh, just a little clip from Michael Horton. And that was the last and ultimate God saying, go for it. It was just that confirmation that Salt Lake was the goal and we were almost there. And so this morning, I, I bring to you what I believe is the heart of God for you this morning. I've been praying for you all week long that God would open up your heart to hear his word, to to let it percolate from your head down into your heart, and that it would begin to bear fruit in your life as an individual, in the collective life of our church. And so we're going to read together as we stand, out of Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to begin reading with verse 25. 
Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, the words of an old Methodist hymn have been much on my mind this morning. A hymn that reminds us of our total dependence upon Thee. Brethren, we have met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you pray with all your power while we try to preach the Word? All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Brethren, pray and holy manna will be showered all around. Dear Parakletos, blessed third person of the Trinity, the one who comes alongside to help, to teach, to comfort, and to convict. We are helpless without your guiding. Please, open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, in our wills to conform to your holy will this morning. This we pray in the name of our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Before we proceed, I'd like to share this passage of Scripture from a couple of their translations, just to add a little bit of, uh, just a, a different flavor, so to speak. This comes from the New Testament William Barclay translation. And he writes, Come to me, all you who are exhausted and weighed down beneath your burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Matthew from the message, are you tired, worn out, burned out? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. 
In these verses, Jesus is calling out to those who have become weary and weighed down by the burdens of just living life on this planet. You see, we're not the first generation to live in a time that can weigh one down with cares and demands and trials. In fact, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I know that many of you, when you are studying your Bible, whether devotionally or following along in a sermon, underline promises. I was telling the first service this morning when a brother or sister in Christ passes away, I usually ask their family for their Bible. I want it as I am planning their memorial service. And going through their Bible tells me a lot about them. And I love to see what they have underlined, what they have highlighted, what, what they have made note of again and again. And so we all practice somehow, but I want to ask how many of you today have underlined this promise of Jesus in your Bible? In this world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise of Jesus. In this world, you will have tribulation. And the Greek word that is translated Tribulation here means trouble or pressure. I don't know, maybe I'm preaching to the wrong people this week, but uh, I have experienced along the way some troubles and pressures in this life. I think it's part and parcel to being a human being walking on planet Earth. And as we go on, we see that the fact is this. Life is filled with troubles and pressures, spiritual, emotional, physical, financial, relational troubles and pressures. And contrary to the word of faith crowd, nowhere in Scripture have we been promised a cushy rose garden experience. Nowhere in this world you will have Tribulation. Here's a wonderful truth, though, that we can begin to learn and then lean on. Our Lord Jesus has been tried and he has been tested like we are presently being tried and tested. And now he calls us in the midst of our trials and our pressures and our testings to bring our burdens to him. Because he knows, because he understands. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. There are two passages in the book of Hebrews that remind us once again that the Lord Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem's manger, came to this earth as a man, lived on this earth as a man, faced trials and temptations, ups and downs as a man. But he did it without ever sinning. He then laid down that sinless life for the likes of you and me 
that he might not only become our burden bearer in the, in the way of just bearing our burdens on his cross, but bearing all of our burdens, our spiritual, our emotional, our physical, our financial, our relational burdens. And he calls us that when we come to those places that the pressures start pressing, to come to him. And here is why. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. This is speaking of Jesus. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Do you see that? In every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And the word here, lots of times when we hear the word tempted or temptation, we we tend to go real quickly to being tempted to sin, being tempted to do something wrong. But the tempting here literally means tested, tried. That when we go through the trials of life, we have an intercessor that we come to who understands in every respect because he has been made in every respect like you and like me. In chapter 4, we get this added to that picture. <clears throat> Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't bring anything to the throne of Jesus that surprises him. We don't bring anything to the throne of Jesus that he's not intimately acquainted with because he's been there, done that. And that's what the writer wants us to see. But our intercessor is one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. So what's his conclusion? Then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We have an intercessor. We have a high priest. He's touched with our infirmities. He's walked a mile in our shoes. He understands perfectly and we're invited by the passage to come because it's at his throne that we find mercy and we find grace to help in our time of need. In the purest sense of the word, Jesus has walked a mile in our shoes. And now he offers his overcoming strength, his overcoming power, and his overcoming wisdom, us. Return with me to Matthew chapter 11 and let's read these last two verses once again. These are the words of your Lord Jesus. Come to me. Then he identifies his audience. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. If you'll come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When Jesus spoke of a yoke, this is what he had in mind. A wooden bar that joined together a pair of oxen for the purpose of pulling a load. In fact, Jesus probably created many of these in his carpenter shop for the local farmers, for the local merchants who needed to either drag a plow or a harrow or a wagon from one place to the other. So Jesus sees that. He says, come unto me. Take my yoke upon you. Now, yoke also had another meaning in Jesus' day. It was a Jewish idiom for submission. Jesus talked to the scribes and Pharisees about the yoke that they would place on people, the demands of the law, demands of not only Torah, but Mishnah, the man-made traditions, as well as the law of God. And they were heavy. And they weighed the people down. In fact, what Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees, Woe to you, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. We weigh them down, but we're not going to help them bear them. And here comes Jesus saying this, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. When walking on this earth as a man, our Lord Jesus experienced every facet of the human condition. Spiritually, emotionally, physically. I mean, we could, we could make a long list today. Hunger, thirst, pain, rejection, betrayal, Name it all. Spiritually, emotionally, and physically, he experienced it all. And the truth of this is that he doesn't want to be lost on you today, is that he has identified with you so completely that when you come to him in prayer, he perfectly understands and relates to the need that you bring. with me? Perfectly. This is the ultimate been there, done that. We cannot come into the presence of our Lord and say, but Lord, I don't think you'll understand. And he goes, oh yeah, try me. He understands. He has not only borne the burden of your sin on his cross, he bore also the burden of your sorrows and of your fears, and of your disappointments, and of your heartaches. He does not in any way, shape, or form anywhere in the Scripture call you to bear the loads of life alone. He calls you to step into the yoke with Him. To let Him shoulder those pressures, those trials, those tribulations. 
He calls you to step into the yoke with Him. He calls you to lay your burden upon Him and to find your resources in Him. My brothers and sisters, the truth of the matter is you were never designed spiritually, emotionally, or physically to bear the burdens of this life. And we are, that is being spoken against every time we open up our eyes in the day and age of rugged individualism. Self-made men and women. Just do it, people. You don't have to study very far in the medical journals to find that a large percentage of medical maladies have their root in stress. You were never meant to carry the burdens of life alone. They'll weigh you down. They'll drive you to your knees. They'll stress you. They'll give you colitis and ulcers and high blood pressure. Ever. I'm going to belabor this. You were not designed to bear the burdens of life alone. And when you do, there's a price to pay. Listen to these verses. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, the world cannot give you that kind of peace. Jesus gives a peace. The Bible says it's a peace that passes understanding. He gives us a peace that we can walk right back out into this insane world and it doesn't look like anything's changed since we got here this morning. And yet we walk with this uncanny peace. We are told by the Savior, don't let this stuff trouble you. And don't be afraid. Because I'm not giving you the world's peace. That wormy kind of peace that doesn't last, it doesn't have a shelf life worth beans. I'm going to give you my peace. I'm going to give you the peace that fills my heart. From there he goes to this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full and and the thing about this joy is that word full, it, it's, it's, it's overflowing. It's to the brim and overflowing. Our problem is, is we try to, we end up confusing happiness with joy. Joy is dependent on happening, or happiness is dependent on happenings. The toast wasn't burned this morning. The tire didn't go flat. Nobody backed into my car in the parking lot. I've stood at many an open grave where I wasn't happy about what was coming down as my own family members were being lowered into the ground, but knew the joy of the Lord every step of the way. Jesus says, I'll fill your life with joy. My joy, not the world's joy, not this flippant, again, no shelf life joy. We've already read, he says, come to me and I'll give you rest, my rest. And then I like this one from the Psalms. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. What has he promised us? He's promised us his rest, his peace, his joy, and his strength. 
How does one appropriate these? This is where the Michael Horton message this week was my last sickum Wayne. You're locked and loaded, and this is my word. Michael Horton was talking about atonement, salvation, and sanctification, two very important parts of our Christian walk. And he was talking about how salvation is, is, is done to us. It's thrust upon us. In fact, we just read it this morning. Go back here to verse 27 of Matthew 11. L- listen to this. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And look at this next line. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Nobody has come to know the Father that Jesus has not chose to open their eyes to the Father. This goes along with Ephesians chapter 1, that we were chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's the salvation experience. But then when we're saved, God begins to do a sanctifying work. And the sanctifying work is a cooperative work. He's calling us to come. He's calling us to do something. The Philippian writer says that we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that's not talking about working out our salvation and being saved type of thing, but it's beginning to work out that which God has worked in. The truths of God's word that are in our heart, that are in his word, that we begin to hide in our heart, that we begin to live these out. And God calls us to do certain things, and in that we grow from glory to glory into the image of Christ. And that's called sanctification. How do we appropriate these things we've talked about? His rest, his peace, his joy, his strength. But Jesus says, come to me. That's how. Come to me. This is what Paul wrote to the Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, before I move on this morning, I mean, I just may be in the presence of a people that have this one down pat. And I just want to know, should I, should I keep on going from here? And it, you've never experienced any anxiety, have you, Brian? No. <laughs> well, how, how many new bypasses do we have on your heart? A few. Do not be anxious about anything. Then there's something for us to do. You want to not be anxious about anything? Then you got to do something. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. The first time that little inkling of angst or anxiety begins to raise its ugly head, We are called to march it to the throne where there is grace and help in our time of need. But we're a pretty sufficient lot, aren't we? Pretty self-sufficient. Well, you know, God's busy. He's got his hands full. I, you know, I'm not going to bother him with this. I'll do this one myself. There is not a verse in my Bible, and I, I doubt if it's in yours either, that says, only bother me with the big stuff. In fact, Peter says, cast all your cares upon him 
because he cares for you. Everything that would rob you of a moment's rest or peace or joy, you're called to bring to him. Now you have a choice here. You can hang on to it and worry it out yourself. Or you can come with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving and let your requests be made known. So we got a problem here. It's called anxiety created by the stresses and the pressures and the worries and the cares of this life. We've got a solution here called prayer. And we've got a result of true prayer and supplication and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds Christ Jesus. Problem, solution, the answer. Why do we hang on to this stuff, people? Why do we hang on to this stuff? Bring it all. Bring it all. Bring it all. And I love this line. What do you think? The peace that passes understanding means. There's sometimes that this peace is so great and so uncanny in the circumstances of my life, it doesn't make any sense. The circumstances around me haven't changed in any appreciable way. But I've come to rest them in the hands of God and His perfect peace rests on my heart. And it's still happening around me, but it's like I'm sitting in the bleachers watching it. Removed from it by the peace of God who says, let me have it. I'll take care of it. And as I take care of it, I will fill you with my rest, with my joy, peace. I'll give you strength for the journey. You see, Jesus calls us to walk at his side. He calls us to learn from him. The message says it like this, watch how I Do it. That's why we study the Gospels, my brothers and sisters. It is our time to watch how he does it. And then by the strength that God supplies to follow in his footsteps. But here's something this might get us sometime. Jesus says of himself, I am gentle. I am meek. I am humble. And that especially for us guys, that just doesn't play well in 2019. This is the, I can do it. Who needs any stinking instructions? I'm a self-made man. I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps. And that word gentle, it just sounds a little too feminine for us. Jesus said, I am gentle. You see, gentleness, my friend, is the opposite of self-assertiveness. It's the opposite. The gentle person is not preoccupied with self. Gentleness is also a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. It's part of the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Jesus said, I am gentle. Learn from me. 
Jesus said, I am humble. Learn from me. Years ago, I mean, this is a long time ago, there used to be two guys that played for the 49ers, you know, when they had a football team. Some guy named Joe Montana, another guy named Jerry Rice. I've got their signatures on footballs in my office. If you want to, I'll remind you that they really played. Okay. I was listening to a preacher one time talking about humility. And this was, he said, humility is the willingness to submit to another for the good of the whole. And he said, when Jerry Rice is in the huddle and Joe Montana calls a play and says, I want you to run a hook pattern. I want you to be right there and I'll, I'll nail you right there. The only way that works is if Jerry Rice says, I will submit to my quarterback, my field general, Joe Montana. If all of a sudden he's going to run a slant instead of a hook and he's going to end up on this side of the field instead of that side of the field, guess who's going to be there when the ball arrives? Nobody. So Jerry Rice, in taking orders from his quarterback, is a humble person. For the good of the team. And so Jesus says, I am humble. Why did he say that? Because don't you ever forget that even Jesus lived a life of submission. Jesus was not on this earth doing his own thing. He only did what the Father told him to do. He only said what the Father told him to say. And he says this, his own words, I do nothing of my own initiative. And in this regard, we are called to watch how he does it. We are called to follow his example when he says, learn from me. I am gentle and I am humble. We're called to submit our lives to our Father in heaven just as Jesus did. This is one verse that always kind of, I, I always pause. Oop. Even though he was a son, he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Another translation would say, from the things that he endured. This isn't just the suffering of the cross. This is in the endurance of a life of 33 years walking on planet Earth in cooperation and connection and fellowship with his Father. He learned obedience through submission. He learned obedience through submission. Jesus says, I will give you rest. I will give you joy. I will give you peace. I will give you strength. But my friends, none of this. This rest does not happen by osmosis. It does not come from wishful thinking. It must be sought. It must be pursued. Jesus says, come to me. We've got to make a move. When anxiety begins to build, we pray. When the pressures of life start coming in, whatever arena they may be coming from, we go to him. Jesus says, come to me. 
Jeremiah wrote it this way. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. This may not be a popular thing to say, but I've said unpopular things from the pulpit before. For some of us, it takes the wolf nipping at our heels to make us really pray. Times are good, and it is so easy to forget about him. And I'm not saying forget or forget about him, but all of a sudden, we're on a bed of ease and things are going well, and we get slack and we get complacent, we get lazy. So God allows a little trial to come our way, and it takes us out of slack and complacent and lazy, and it puts us on our face for him. Crying out for a child, crying out for an unsaved spouse, crying out or a family member that just got the word that they have cancer and have months to live. I don't know about you, but I'll be honest with you today. I do my best praying right after the roof caves in. And I've learned this over the years. Colossians chapter 3 says that Our lives are hidden with Christ in God. I'm a pretty simple farmer. So I see my life wrapped in Christ with the Father's holy will surrounding that. Meaning this, nothing can touch my life without the Father's permission. Be that a mountaintop or a valley, there must be be permission granted for the trial as well as the exaltation. And God allows this for your maturation, for your growth, and ultimately for his glory. And I'll tell you what, I'm just being honest with you today. My most wholehearted seeking is when I've come to the end of myself and there is no place to go but to him. And Jeremiah says, and he will be found. Search for him with all your heart. And then out of the same Colossians passage, there's this one. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. There's something else that's being insinuated here in this statement. Anybody want to take a stab at it? What is this, what is this insinuate? Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Pardon? Okay, there's something else is ruling. That's good. We'll hang on to that one. Don't let me forget that in Marley's. Anything? Pardon? Okay, it's Christ's peace. Oh, oh, oh. Fancy Nancy. You got it. When this says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, it insinuates that there are times we refuse to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Nobody can stop the peace of Christ ruling in my heart but me. But me. I choose to be torn up. 
I choose to let the pressures of life rip me and jerk me and pull me from left to right and up and down. Because I have a promise from a Savior, a promise of peace, a promise of rest, a promise of joy. Not the world's joy, peace, and rest. His joy, peace, and rest. But I've got to choose on a daily basis to appropriate it. And when the anxiety begins to come up into my heart, moving in his direction through prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, letting all my requests be known to God, who says, if you'll do that, you'll enjoy the peace that passes understanding. My favorite line in the message, Eugene Peterson's contemporary language of Matthew, is this one. And learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Before coming to Truckee, California, I pastored in the southern Utah town of Moab, Utah, flowing right through the middle of our canyon is one of the country's great rivers, the Colorado River. We spent a lot of time on that river, rafting it, whitewatering. I love whitewater rafting, and you know, somebody says whitewater rafting, the best description is hours of boredom punctuated by moments of extreme terror. And that's it, because the Colorado can eat you up and spit you out in a heartbeat. But I learned something about the unforced rhythms of grace running the Colorado River. The Colorado is a mighty river. It's a scary river. It needs to be respected even when you're on the smooth part. Because the Colorado River, as it comes down through the canyons of Moab and beyond, heading toward Lake Powell, the bottom is sandy and silty. And, and you may run the river today, and the channel is over here. And you may run it tomorrow, and the channel is over here. And it's very important that you stay in the channel on the Colorado River when you're going through the smooth parts. Because on both sides are eddies, places where the water is kind of turning backwards. It's flowing a different direction than the river is flowing. It's just the way hydraulics work. I love the study of hydraulics. Oh. And, and there's some places, there's one place coming into Moab, it's called Skull Rapid, and it's an inescapable eddy, which means if you get into it, what, what can't you do? Escape. It turns you into, it's like a Maytag washing machine with an agitator, and it just eats you up and spits you and your raft out. So what you're looking for when you're running the river, you're not setting up right now for a rapid. You know, you're gonna, you have plenty of time for that because the canyon walls echo a rapid about two miles away and your heart starts going, dun-dun, dun-dun, dun-dun. But when you're doing the smooth part, you get your raft into what's called the tongue of the river, the channel. And when you're there, all you have to do to correct course is a little of this. That's subtle. And just stay. Because guess what's doing all the work? The river. The river's doing all the work. You just have to stay in its center. That's what this is. The Lord Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, has created for you, through his grace, a channel and when we find that channel, 
we find that channel. We find his rest, his peace, his joy, his strength. When we get out of it, we can be over there in that eddy just beating the water to a froth, and that's all we're doing. And so Eugene says, learn the unforced rhythm of grace. Where is that channel in the heart of God for you? And there's a rhythm here it can be counted on. It can be counted on. And it's all of grace. My brothers and sisters, our Lord Jesus Christ pleads with us today. He says, in this life you're going to have tribulation, pressure, testing, trials. It's part and parcel to living in a fallen, living in a fallen world. But in the midst of that, Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome. Therefore, come to me. Bring it all. The big stuff and the little stuff. And I will give you my rest. I will give you my peace. I will give you my joy. I will daily give you the strength to keep walking. But you've got to come. An old hymn puts it this way. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything. 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 God. The pressures and burdens of your life are going to be borne by someone, either by you or by one who paid a tremendous price upon the cross for you. Not just to save you from your sins, but to bear your burdens through life. Warning us up front that there will be plenty of them along the way. My old friend Delstroy used to say, once you get a lesson bought and paid for, God's going to send another one along, COD. Some of you may not know, that's cash on delivery. We used to get stuff in the mail and have to pay for it then. But I know this, even if I'm on the mountaintop today, I'm only between trials. It's only a matter of time before the mountaintop becomes a valley. We work our way through another one, leaning on him for his peace and his joy and his strength and his rest. And he brings us out again. And it'll be that way till you go home and see Jesus. So you can do it with the unforced rhythm of grace. But you've got to come. There's too many times in our life when I was a little boy remember my dad taking me fishing, and boy, bless his heart, that was the most patient man that ever lived. He spent more time getting knots out of my reel than he did fishing. And just as soon as he'd get me all straightened out, I'd knot it all back up again. But you know what? Even at eight years of age, I knew where to take it. I picked it up, and dad, when you start getting knots in your line, the line of your life. Do not hesitate. Take the rod and the reel 
the Jesus. He's the one that will untie the knots, straighten it out, making you able to fish again. He will fill your life with his rest, his peace, his joy, his strength. You were never meant to bear these things by yourself, but you have to obey. And he says, come on, Ken, come. Come on, Mavis. Come on, Ray. Come. You. Come. Drop him off on his doorstep. Come. Drop him off on his doorstep. Let's pray. Father, I, I just, I have felt it this morning in this service and the first one, just that as we talk about these glorious words of rest and peace and joy, strength, I feel from this people right now a longing for it all. This isn't rocket science. We live in a world full of pressure, troubles. Yes, I love coming into this room every week because it's an island of sanity and an insane world, and it gives me a place to catch my breath, a place to regroup because Monday's coming. But Lord, your word is full of the truth that you did not call us to bear this pressure alone. But that as you made provision for our sins on your cross, you made provisions for our rest, for our peace, for our joy, for our strength. And as the old song says, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. And oh, what needless pain we bear. And there's only one reason. We fail to bring it all. Paul said, are you anxious? Then come and pray. Come and pray. Jesus says, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Come unto me. Watch how I deal with it find that I can take the pressures and the loads of life and say to you, my load is easy, my burden is light. Father, uh, the men and women, boys and girls that are sitting under the sound of my voice this morning, I am sure that along the way when we talked about some of those pressures, that boy, something came right to mind because some of us in this room are in it right now. We're in it right now, and it's consuming us. It's consuming us, and it's robbing us of our rest. It's robbing us of our sleep. It's, and, and Lord, these things come in a myriad of ways, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. 
And I just invite my brothers and sisters today, whatever that thing is today, grab it and place it on your doorstep this morning. Whatever is causing the angst, the anxiety, the worry, the fretting and the stewing. And Father, if we hang on to it, then we're going to try and fix it ourselves. And that usually messes it up more than if we bring it to you first. There you are, the patient father who sits down with the fishing rod and reel and tangled string of our life. There we come to the intercessor who's touched with our infirmities so out of his throne we find mercy and grace to help in a time of need. Father, may you kick pride out of the way. May you kick our own resourcefulness out of the way and and our own self-reliance out of the way. Let us bring rod, reel, and tangled line to you. There is freedom and breath. There is joy and peace. Rest. We see your arms outstretched right now saying, Come. You who are weary and heavy laden, come me. I give rest. Pray this in the name.